You are listening to episode 89 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and this week, the return of Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we're flying around at the speed of sound in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. AKA known as another stupid Sonic game, according to Ryan. It so, is another stupid Sonic game. It, it certainly was. Sort of. Sort of? Okay. Uh, so this week we got a, a good bit of stuff. We're going to obviously talk about our pickups and what we're currently playing. Uh, my favorite uh, game so far of 2020, I think, pending how it continues, will be discussed. And uh, our articles this week, we're going to talk about the 2020 facts about the video game industry. Not the essential facts, but the facts about the game industry. And uh, Microsoft has decided to discontinue the Xbox One X and the original Xbox One S digital editions ahead of the Series X launch. And of course, the true impact of challenge in games, which I am currently experiencing in the new title I'm playing. So... Ryan, we'll kick it off to you because I see nothing on your list and I'm sure it's yeah. going to be nothing. Yeah, I got double nothing. I had a, a week off for taking care of some stuff and I just, I did not play any games in that time. I did not pick up any games in that time. Like, I may have like scrimped over and played a little bit of uh, Paper Mario on my phone, but I think that's about it. I really just didn't get up to anything. So sorry about that, everybody. He had a, a whole two weeks, you guys. A whole two weeks to play. Did you play anything the week before? Oh, man. I don't even remember the week before. Okay. So Ryan played nothing. So, of course, here in the Game of Flitters podcast, we like to talk about games. John recently picked up games he's currently playing and uh, the inflation deflation each week. With Ryan. With Ryan. <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> no, no hard feelings. So... Uh, this week I had quite a bit of pickups. Uh, I've also got some stuff coming through on eBay, of course, that I've picked up. And uh, I'm still on this like binge of like S Xbox 360 original like exclusive games and Xbox exclusives. Uh, so that's some good stuff. Uh, this week I picked up Code Vein on PS4, Valfaris. So it's like this metal Metroidvania type game on uh, PS4. I picked up, uh, did we get that right? Cyvariar Delta? That's what you told me. Yeah, so that's also, uh, that's a shoot-em-up uh, that's on the console. It looked obscure, so I'm like, I'll pick it up. Uh, GameStop, again, had, like, buy, buy five, get 50% off type of thing. So I went ahead and did that. They did fix their system, finally, uh, because all my games came through with the, uh, the half-off price. <clears throat> so shame on that, but we'll try it again down the road. And then I also got God of War Origins Collection for my wife. She's been wanting to play the God of War series. It's the best series. <clears throat> so... I had the, uh, you know, I've got the overall collection of 1 and 2. I've got uh, Chains of Olympus and all that, but I didn't have the Ghost of Sparta. Wait, is Chains of Olympus on the Ghost of Sparta? Mm, I don't remember. Though, I, they're both PSP games, either so way, it's like when you bought it new, you would have gotten a digital code for both of those. Yeah, so there, there's two, and I know she played one of them recently. You know, there's like three collections on PS3, I want to say. The one and two, then there's another one. It's got that one. same Kingdom Hearts problem, yeah, where they, it, they just keep releasing it in different bundle packs. Yeah, it, it does. It really does. And I'm sure PS5 will have a whole God of War slew of games. So... Uh, we got the Origins collection. I finally got Tenchu Z in the mail. I want to say I mentioned on the last episode. Uh, and then I picked up Tide of the Tasmanian... Z eh, Tide of the Tasmanian Tiger, not Tasmanian. Uh, two. Uh, at a Goodwill recently for like three bucks. So that wasn't bad. Uh, 
what is that? Oh, Bush Rescue. I was like, what's the full title in that? Tie and, the Tasmanian Tiger to Bush Rescue. And then out of Electric all of that, Boogaloo. Out of all of that, I got a mint, and I mean seriously mint copy of Twisted Metal 3 for 10 bucks. Now, that is a steal. That's actually not bad. I think the game's like 15, 20 bucks normally. So, yeah, it was a really good deal. It wasn't bad. Um, but actually, no, I think I got it for like six or seven dollars. But either way, uh, the one thing to note on that Twisted Metal 3, the store I went to, um, it was like a, a thrift store, right? And that particular location had a whole bunch of GameCube games set up. So there was like Animal Crossing, there was uh, Pokemon uh, Gale of Darkness, um, Mario Golf, Mario Tennis. And I was saying, oh, Mario Tennis, like I can replace my copy. of skipping uh, a while back as it scratches. So I crack open all these cases. All right. Every single one of them is scratched to complete hell, mm. like just terrible. Uh, most of them don't have the manuals. The outside's actually pretty clean. And they have them at above eBay prices. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and these games were beyond fixable, like way down, like deep scratches. And some of them look like they had water damage underneath as well. And so I go to the associate there. I'm like, hey, um, just FYI, like none of these games are ever going to work again. You guys are charging full price. Like it's honestly unethical because of a return policy there. It's no returns on electronics. So if I'm just this random consumer coming and I don't know any better and I see Pokemon and pick it up at like a 50% off sale, I'm spending $40 or $35 essentially for a broken Pokemon game. Yeah, make sure to check your discs. I mean, John's the king of, you know, what's going to work and what's not going to work. He usually can, you know, tell pretty right off the bat if something's going to be trash or not. So make sure you check your games before you go home and try to play them. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really listening to an individual that has gone ahead and buffed out and resurfaced thousands of games in the past. Look at so, it, John. You would never know that he was so buff. You would never know I'm so buff. Uh, so, yeah, I've gone through thousands of games and, and DVDs, really. So, I mean, I've seen all types of scratches, all types of damage. I know really at what level it should go out to. So I've gone to game stores and like, oh, we should do it on this. I'm like, no, that's going to be too heavy. You need to do it on this. And they look at me kind of funny. I'm like, trust me, it comes through perfect. So, you know, there, I've always had that in my back pocket and these were just beyond repair. And so I mentioned it, she's like, oh, I'm not the one that put them out. Okay, I don't care if you're the one that put them out. They're scratched. Take them off your shelf. Like I'm here telling you, she's like, oh yeah, you're the second person that came and said that. Okay, well, I'm the second person now who has said this. And yet you still There's plenty have of other the, suckers in the sea, John. Right? Yeah. So they're, they don't care. They're just like, we're going to get rid of it. And it's not like they pay for that stuff. They get it for free. Yeah. It's donated. So, you know, you're here with donated stuff. You're going to screw over a general consumer of broken games. Like, that's eh, just messed up. So anytime I can go rip them off, I'm going to do so now. I mean, you could still just charge for the box. Price charting has the uh, just the box and stuff. Yeah. And, and I've seen places do that. So it's just frustrating, dude. Uh, okay, so currently playing, you said you had nothing currently playing this week. Uh, have you I, ever tried to go to a place and be like, I'll give you five bucks for the box. You keep the game. I have done that in the past. Do uh, they ever go for it? Sometimes it depends on who it is. Like if it's, you know, if the manager's there, I'm like, look, this is done. Like there's nothing. Ha this disc is messed up or there's a crack or something along those lines. And I need the box. I'm like, hey, can I buy this? Or if you go on to the uh, like in the main area where dvds and games and such might be at say a goodwill sometimes you'll find a box there but somebody's stolen the game if it's a good enough box i'll go to the manager and say look you know your game was stolen um the box is just sitting there it can i buy for like a dollar and usually they're pretty cool about it but i rarely find any like high-end game cases there very rare but i've ever found something like that so either way man 
um, that particular thrift store whenever I go in. If I find anything that is of a very low price when it should be higher, I'm definitely buying it and screw them. They are <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just messed up. So, all right, moving on. Uh, am I currently playing? So I was obviously playing some South Park. I ended up beating Al Gore and now Man Bear Pig is absolutely ridiculously hard. So luckily... Are you serial? <laughs> I'm surreal. Uh, I did uh, try to go into the uh, city walk and uh, beat those goddamn Mongolians, mm-hmm. um, you know, in their own tower. Uh, so I got through a couple of them. And then, of course, uh, you know, things happened on Friday and I had to pick up another game where I had to beat some goddamn Mongolians. Yeah. So I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima now. And, dude, I, I'm loving it. Like, 100%. So I'll, I'll kind of get my first impressions on it and then we can move into our articles for the week. So... The game itself is absolutely beautiful. I mean, you saw like yeah. it's just like stunning yeah, scenery. It's so colorful and like it. It looks almost kind of like fantasy color saturation, but from what I saw, I mean, still keyed into reality. So it's got like a really interesting mix that you don't often see. You know. Yeah, like the grass and such when you're hiding. I forget the name of the grass, but when you're hiding in the grass, for example, like you can see the that kind of, I'm not going to say uh, eco or like um, Last Guardian style grass, but it's very reminiscent of that in terms of the color saturation, uh, but it does keep that realism. And of course, you've got, you know, these scenic backdrops of the sun going and uh, the weather changes, you know, all the time through the game. So it's just dynamic weather. Uh, through the game so you can have fog in one area um wind blowing with leaves in the air uh you know the sun might be super bright on one area but you got thunder clapping in the background for another area so it's really cool the dynamic weather component tied to it i know there's other games out there but they did a really good job on this so from a scenery perspective it's great um from what i've experienced so far and what i've seen my wife play in the past it does feel like assassin's creed samurai to an extent there are noticeable differences i feel like with um uh, for example assassin's creed from what i understand if you're hit pretty heavily you can kind of run away and hide and your your meter just goes back up and you heal it's not so much like that in ghost of tsushima in that you do have like these healing meters in the bottom like i think it's resolve if i recall and uh you know as you get hit and you're dodging and and trying to slash like you would in assassin's creed type game uh, you have to use those as a heal um, pretty frequently. And so I haven't had a situation yet where I could like just run away and heal. And when I have, it's not like it healed me a bunch. It's just like a little tiny bit here and a little tiny bit there. It's not like Assassin's Creed was just like, Boop, like you're done, you're healed and you're good you're to go. You're not Master Chief. Yeah. So you don't have that situation going for you, at least in what I'm doing. So I am playing it on a hard difficulty right now. And it's pretty difficult. I heard that pre-launch, so people that reviewed it, that played it on hard difficulty did not have as much trouble after the 1.04 patch that they released for it day of uh or or on release really and so it's fairly it's it's difficult but it's not like dark souls difficult in that it's not unforgiving like you kind of learn from those mistakes and you understand okay here's what i need to do i messed up on this area okay let me go ahead and correct that versus dark souls is just like some of those boss battles are just stupid So, like, there was um, a town that I liberated, or dojo I liberated uh, early on in the game, and I had to defeat Warlord Dogard, I think is what his name was, or Dorgard. And, yeah, it was hard, because I started the battle with a little tiny piece of health. 
Like I'm talking, if he hit me twice, I was dead. So I had to use that as my starting point as battle. And it was fairly difficult to get through that. I probably restarted that battle 20 times or so because I hadn't entered a major boss battle yet. So this is like the first boss battle and I'm starting with like minimal health and I can't escape. And if I do, you know, where am I going to heal? Because there's no more enemies to kill. I'd have to like leave and come back. So I'm like, screw it. I'll just keep battling. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love the mechanics of the game so far. I think the photorealism of it is super cool. Um, the characters so far from what I've experienced look phenomenal. Uh, the customizations on your look and your weapons, the little bit that I've done so far has been pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, your skill trees, there's like multiple skill trees um, and multiple stances. So right now I think I'm using, there's like the stone stance and then there's like, I think the water stance is what I'm on right now. And you just have like your skill tree that you, you know, progress through in each of those. And of course there's other little things like your bonus to healing and your bonus to stealth and all these other little things. So it's really cool so far. The standoff mechanic that they promoted was also pretty badass. Uh, it's just really cool to have like this. You're just kind of standing there and right when they attack you slash and the skill tree allows you to develop other components to that. So one of the things I pulled out was if right after that I hit square and another enemy's charging, I slash them as well, and knock them out instantly. So it's like an instant kill. Mm -hmm. So there's little cool things like that. And um, like I said, I'm enjoying it. Uh, another key thing for anybody that's looking to play this game the English voice acting on it is not very good. Uh, so from what I saw, and I, it might be one of those things that because I played Sekido and just all Japanese and was just reading subtitles, I kind of got in this habit of like, if I'm playing a Japanese type game, like of that nature, like I'm in Japan, I would expect to hear Japanese. So I've been playing English subtitles with, you know, Japanese voice acting. The Japanese voice acting is great on this game really enjoying that piece i just don't like so my one qualm on this would be as you're traveling and you're talking in japanese you're trying to see where you're going meanwhile keeping up the story in the bottom bar uh, you know the cinema bars yeah. and so it's like i'm trying to like go forward enjoy the scenery but at the same time i'm having to read subtitles in the bottom so it's kind of counterintuitive in that aspect um, but you get used to it like you're traveling by horse yeah so you is can, the horse pretty good yeah the horse the horse isn't bad there are some little things here and there like when you're jumping ledge to ledge, you can tell like, not that you have to force it, but you're like, I want you to go right, not up. I want you to go right. Like there's little things like that, that I'm sure it'll kind of come with the game and I'll just kind of get used to that and just muscle memory over time. Uh, but yeah, so it's really good so far. I'm enjoying it. And from a story perspective, uh, to give a little overview, non-spoiler related, um, you pretty much go into battle of the, the Mongolians and, uh, you get to a point where, I mean, this isn't really going to spoil anything, but like the entire samurai troop is pretty much killed and the entire island is overrun by uh, Mongols. And so you're trying to, you know, save your your island of uh, the Tsushima Islands. And right now, um, you know, I got past getting recovered from this battle and you end up in this town, a little town not too far from there where um, somebody's healed you. And so far the mission is... Uh, you know, hey, I want to help you save your your uncle who's been captured, but at the same time, I need you to help my brother, and he's a blacksmith, and he's going to help you out. So, like, right now, like, the end goal, I'm guessing, is going to be get to your uncle and try to save him because he's the one that raised you and, you know, after some other unfortunate situations. And 
um, you know, it kind of leads into, all right, well, we got to do all these side quests and such first. So it, it does a pretty good job so far, um, especially at the side quests. So the side quests, I'm really enjoying it because there are separate, they're called tales. And it says like tale one of nine for each one. So like mm. the one you saw me play uh, was a lady whose family was killed and you're essentially trying to avenge the family and kill off the people that killed her family. So uh, with that particular tale, there's nine pieces to it. So Yes, there is a main story component, but I think that those individual tales, the way it's lined up, it's not like Assassin's Creed where, oh, go ahead and complete this mission. Okay, you complete this mission for this random person, you're done, and then move on to the next mission of some random person. Like These are people you think you're going to go back and interact with yeah, again, yeah. and you're going to see like how the ramifications of these side stories are playing out over time. Yep, and then it's also tied into the main story in some components. So like the, the first one I did was of a bow warrior, a samurai bow warrior who, um, you know, was, you wanted him in battle, but he ended up hanging back and it's his tale. Like, what do we do with this guy? And it's like, oh yeah, your father taught you well, or those are words of your father. Like all these little pieces, they're all tied together. He's like, oh, well, if you help me or if I help you, will you help me get my uncle type of thing? Yes, I'll, I'll help you out. This is what we'll do. And you get like rewards and such like you wouldn't Assassin's Creed, but there are continuing tales to that piece, right? So it's a continuing story within the story and it does have tie-ins. So while the main story is only going to be 30 hours, I do have a very good feeling that the rest of these small tales are going to be good as well. And they're just going to be like, you know, intricate points into the story that, you know, you would miss if you didn't play them. So I think they're saying the game like main stories, like 20 hours or so, and all the side quests come out to, uh, 30 hours total. So you're looking at about a 50 hour uh, total game. Um, in terms of searching for things, you do have the wind kind of at your back helping you out. So like banners and artifacts and flowers and other things you got to collect. You can actually have the wind guide you to, to things that aren't there. Uh, there are lots of scenic views. Um, so not towers that you're jumping on top of and looking below as an eagle, but Ubisoft you know, towers. Yeah, they're not Ubisoft towers, but like fox dens where a fox might lead you to a shrine where you can get uh, points of resolve or oh, that's super cool yeah little things like that so it's it's pretty cool i'm liking the lore behind it so far uh, i'm enjoying it so i would say first impressions are very good i'm about three four hours into the game right now and i'm really enjoying the exploration components of it and i can see where it's going to get kind of monotonous and you're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff but uh, that's mainly in the battle component mm -hmm. i'm really looking forward to each of his individual tales yeah the overall main story and I don't anticipate me doing this in like, you know, Last of Us 2 fashion where next week I'm like, we're done. I mm -hmm. think I'm going to be playing this for at least another probably a month mm -hmm. if I kind of keep going at the pace Spread I'm going. Spread it out. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm really going to enjoy this game. So, Well, that's one of the things that's like the big difference between Ghost of Tsushima and The Last of Us Part 2 is that Ghost of Tsushima is like very anticipated or people are really into it, but there's not like everybody out there, la la la, la no spoilers, you know, trying to stay away from the internet because people are review bombing things to death and like causing all kinds of mayhem online. Like it, it's great when a game comes out and you can actually take that time to appreciate it without that kind of general fear of like, oh, what am I missing out on? What are people going to ruin for me? Like, yeah. it's it's probably good to bounce from one to the other. 
Yeah, exactly, man. And actually, uh, that, that's a good segue here, Ryan. So uh, Jason from Corpse Flag Gaming last week obviously joined us, as you know, and he went ahead and filled in for Thank you. Thank you for filling in for me, sir. Yeah, so good stuff. And then also shout out to Church over at Game Grinder. So we initially, I reached out to both of them and Church was like right on it. Like, yeah, man, I'll jump in. But timing wise, it just, he had some other stuff going on. It didn't work out for him. So uh, Jason stepped in. We recorded like 1230 Pacific time. Uh, so his like 230, it was absolutely crazy. I thought we were honestly sounding like we were drunk on the podcast, uh, but it sounded pretty good when we were all said and done. Um, but yeah, so catch him at Corpse Slug Gaming. Of course, catch Church at The Game Grinder. And uh, their podcast is a Game Tenants podcast. So kudos to them for stepping up and helping us out here. And uh, of course, you can find that episode from last week on all of those wonderful podcast applications. Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, really anywhere podcasts are found. And then, Ryan, tell us where they can find us on social media. You find us everywhere online at The Game Deflators, except for Twitter, because they don't like the just Game Deflators at Twitter. Thank you. And, uh, of course, find us on YouTube, where hopefully we can get some Ghost of Tsushima content going up pretty soon. Uh, I actually haven't even recorded any of it. Yeah, check us out at thegamedeflators.com as well. You could see our new site that we have up. John's done a tremendous job of getting that all set up, and... We'll uh, keep updating that with content. We're looking to put all of our inflation, deflation scores up there and make it a place where you can really build your own collection. Well, really, in any game reviews as well. So, you know, one of the things I need to do is put up uh, Last of Us Part 2 on there as a game review. And uh, same thing for Ghost of Tsushima when it's done. So hopefully, you know, we can kind of keep that to where... We got our inflation deflations. We got our regular reviews going on. And uh, we'll hopefully have a page up pretty soon of all those podcasts that we've worked with in the past where you can kind of check them out and, and see what they're up to. All right, man. So uh, our first article this week is going to be 2020 facts about the video game industry. I, I think it's 2020 essential facts about the game industry. It's a huge list. 2020 no, not really. So this is by uh, ESA. We all know the ESA. And, uh, Do they... we, though? Do we? <laughs> so they put out this list, and it's a really interesting breakdown, just showing all kinds of different statistics on who plays games, uh, why they play games, uh, how they play games with their families and friends. And it kind of gives you a really interesting breakdown. Like, let's see here. Why we play uh, 65% of video game players play with others. 17% uh, play with team, guild, clanmates, online-only friends of all types. 24% play with other family members. 27% play with spouse, partner. 42% with friends. 7% with parents. Uh, let's see. Adult video game players spend 6.6 .6 hours a week playing with each other with others online and 4.3 hours a week playing with others in person. So that's just one of these stat blocks on here, but yeah, and I'll give a few more here too. So one thing to note is that this was a survey of 4,000 gamers in the United States. Uh, so it really didn't cover, you know, gamers from a, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. So our friends in the UK, uh, Grief Burrito, for example. Uh, you're not counted in this survey, unfortunately. Uh, but for the U.S., they did survey 4,000 people. And uh, with that, they got a general figure of 214 million people in the United States are game players. Uh, with the main uh, percentage of that being 59% male and 41% female. And uh, the average age of these gamers was 35 to 44, which is really interesting when you think about it. But at the same time, not. I mean... You're looking at people that started with the NES. 
that's the bulk of those gamers. Well, that's when gaming really like when gaming moved into the home and out of the arcade, it really made the accessibility of games open up to more people because it's like if you were a kid going to the arcade your parents probably aren't going to go with you you probably don't want to bring your little brother along so if you're home and you've got a console that really spikes up the like hey this is a family thing let's start building you know local more local multiplayer oh that's going to transition eventually into online multiplayer now you can uh what was the one in here that i thought was really cool was that uh, 30% of players have met a good friend, spouse, or significant other through games. Like, that's that's a pretty good catch rate. Like, I've never made any, like, really close friends through video games, like, online. But video games have definitely brought me closer together with all of my existing friends. Yeah, and, you know, here's another interesting uh, bit of information, too. So, of the 35 to 54 age range, which is, you know, kind of within that, that area that we were looking at, uh, 70% of men play video games on a console versus 78% of women play video games on a smartphone. So that was pretty interesting um, to see that component. It really does kind of dive into, you know, the question that people have of how many female gamers are really out there. Well, there's a lot, according to this survey, but not a lot of console gamers. Um, so that is obviously still a rare occurrence. And I think we see that in, you know, Facebook streaming and Twitch and other things that it, there's just not a lot of women out there doing console gaming. Um, but that is growing, I, I figure. Yeah. Uh, gaming is like, I think it's the most growth entertainment industry by like a lot. I mean, financially, you just pay a lot more money for video games than you really do any other entertainment medium. You're not really chucking out 60 bucks a pop for anything else, really. Maybe a really expensive book. Maybe. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, games are are pricey and they are fun and they do last you about as long as a book could last you in terms of what you do. So and I think gaming's come a long way in general anyway. So I think if you took the survey, you know, 15 years ago, you're not going to have even close to the same type of results as you do right now. Uh, I do want to bring it up. I'm looking for it here. Um, unless you have it was the ESRB ratings and the awareness oh, of that's down in the bottom here. So, uh, of the 4,034 ratings assigned by the ESRB to physical and downloadable console games in 2019, 45% received an E rating, 14% received an E10 plus rating, 28% received a teen rating, and 13% received an M rating. Yeah, and one of the other interesting things, man, is, you know, overall, 95% of parents are present when they're buying games for kids, obviously. So you do have those ESRB ratings in place. Uh, and... What's interesting is that 73% of those parents think video games are educational. So, you know, that's something that years ago, I don't think my family would have ever, like, thought, right? I don't think that's something that my mom would have said, oh, yeah, video games are educational. We're going to go buy you video games right now. So there's a, a social component to it. There's an educational component to it. And then, of course, you know, looking at the, the overall ratings is predominantly not mature rated games, which is interesting because I'm sure a bulk of the games that are sold are going to be mature rated. Well, no, 13% of games that were sold last year are M rated. No, it says received an M rating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying purchased. So, Oh, you what, think more M rated think, games yeah. are purchased than, well, I mean, look at last of us Two. last of us Two had what? Like 4 million uh, video game sales in like a week. Yeah. But how like, many e games, how, how many e games have 4 million sales in a week? And like know, Call of Duty. Mario? Okay, 
excluding Mario, I guess. Zelda? Well, that's just one console, right? So if you start looking at from a broad spectrum of games, say, for example, Last of Us 2 is only on the PlayStation 4. Call of Duty is a mature rated video game. That sells like crazy every single year for every version. Yeah, I guess that uh, that 13% is really skewed because... I mean, the last two games you played are both M-rated. And the current one I'm playing is yeah. M-rated. Uh, I played... Eh, I don't know that I've played that many M games recently. Mostly because I haven't been playing any games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, when you look at it overall, yeah, there's definitely a... some great statistics in here. It's worth checking it out. There's a full report you can download. It just has tons and tons of data. We'll link it in the podcast uh, episode. It'll be on thegamedeflators.com. And, of course, it'll be on Facebook. I'll, I'll probably just share via the overall report on there as well for people to check out. It's cool. Bunch yeah. of cool numbers. Definitely cool. Okay, uh, the next piece that we had this week was Microsoft's discontinuation of the Xbox One X and Xbox One S digital editions ahead of the Series X launch. So this is Tom Warren at The Verge. Dude, how many of The Verge articles have we covered in, like, the last several episodes? Like, it seems like we covered The Verge a lot. Dude, we're on the verge of covering another one. Oh, man. Yeah, just wait till next week. The Verge. So this doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. But it does surprise me in that it's so early on before the consoles even been released. So typically I'm used to Sony, right? Keeping a console alive and manufacturing and putting out games for a while after the, con the newest consoles released. And I can see where Microsoft is doing this from an adoption perspective. So, of course, you want to force consumers into adopting your most recent console. And with the was it the series or the Xbox One S digital edition, it's all digital. So there's no physical media to purchase for it. So yeah, you're going to want to discontinue that. So people that haven't bought a digital version and want digital are forced to buy the newest digital, despite the fact that it's going to be digital and well, you're going to be able to get the same exact games for the most part on that same console. Yeah. And what they announced here is too, that it will be um, the Xbox Series S will probably be the all digital. I've seen renders of this hoping that it's going to be this like half the size basically like a cube instead of like a full tower and like it shows off being like silver or gray or white or something in the renders and that looks kind of sweet i mean the deal that they have right now for the xbox one s is the 19.99 a month subscription model we talked about this like a month ago or something yeah and they want to try to continue that program through for the series s and hopefully that means that there would be a good low entry point. And I don't think I said this on the console, uh, on the podcast. I think I was talking to some friends about this. But, man, if they had like a $25 a month. Oh, yeah, we did all, mention this. Yeah, all digital Series S. Like, I would probably get that before I got the PS5 just because I want to wait for the slim PS5. But, um it's still a really good deal. We'll see what actually happens when they come out supposedly later this or uh, next month. So, well, when they when they announce yeah, they're going to announce not it next out. month. Yeah. Yeah. It won't be out next month, but announced. Uh, so I'm still waiting for the PS5 price point, obviously. Uh, you know, I would if Sony did a similar situation, like I'm very tempted to get a ps5 I don't launch think they day would, yeah i don't think they would have to like especially since they just said that they're going to double their production they're expecting this thing to sell like 10 million units like right off the bat yeah like i'm super super tempted to purchase a ps5 day of 
and just kind of finance if you're like a Best Buy situation. But at the same time, I'm still along those lines of like, I don't buy launch consoles. And if anything happens, then it's out of warranty after a couple of years. So I don't know, man, but I really do want to have it to where we can talk more about these newest games when they come out. So I'm, I'm on the fence. Well, and here's the thing, like if they're going to try to pump out 10 million units, we just read that last thing. There's 214 million gamers in the U.S. Like, I'm wondering if this I, I don't remember because I didn't jump on the PS4 at launch. Was it like really short at launch? Like I the only times I ever got consoles at launch were we and 360 and I had to wait till after Christmas. I don't think I got my 360 till March and I had reserved it the previous July and the Wii like I was there was one person behind me in line where they cut it off to get in and get our consoles. And then I laughed at people working at target who came in looking for a Wii. Like I worked at target for like almost a year. And I think they were always sold out before I got to work after school. Jeez, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've actually never had that problem because I, you know, I've never picked up a console day of, mm -hmm. uh, the other issue or not issue, but the other thing is like with my PS4, I'm not aware of any shortages. Cause when I picked up my PS4, I picked up a pro and I also combined it. They had a deal at the time for Sony Bravia 55-inch 4K, mm -hmm. where it was like, if you got the PS4 and a TV, the TV was like dropped down a few yeah. hundred bucks. Plus, you got 10% of the overall purchase back on a gift card, which mm -hmm. I used towards a controller towards, and some games. Yeah. So, you know, that that's one of the things, man. Like, you can always wait for these types of things. Launch, launch is the time to get into a console and, like, to be in on the ground floor. But it's not the frugal way to do it. It's not like if you're a collector, it's not a good use of your money that you could use to build your collection. Like if you got to be on the ground floor and you got to be like reporting to people like John, because I can't get one. So John getting a PS5 so we can tell the people what's going on in the world. It's very important. Well, and but if you're just it, like me, I'm just not that ready to jump into the next gen. Because I'm still barely through this gen. Well, and pending on the prices, I mean, if we're talking like 500 bucks and what I could potentially do is, you know, as long as I can play every PS4 game on the PS5, like every single one of them, then yeah, I'll likely grab a PS5, mm -hmm. I'll finance it, and I'll sell my PS4, which yeah. is a rarity for me to sell a game console. Yeah, but, but I, it's not like you have a special one or no. anything, like you'll always be able to pick one of those up cheaper later yeah exactly so my thought process is go ahead and sell the ps4 get the money finance it towards you know a ps5 pay that off you know incrementally over mm -hmm. 12 months through best Buy because they have free or they have no in zero interest really for 12 months pending what you get and who knows maybe i'll get another tv uh but i think i may go that route as long as it plays ps4 games like i'd be open to doing that yeah for a i launch. saw i saw this article i wish i knew i think i sent it to you john can you look up where that article is from that I sent you yesterday? It was talking about the PS5 backwards compatibility. Oh, yeah. We yeah. had heard, you know, early on talk about PS5 backwards compatibility. And it's like, I understand why they laid it out in this in this article this way. But it's just so dumb because he goes through, goes through everything. He's like yeah. the PSP and PS Vita. Why would that be backwards compatible? Well, the thing is, like, he goes through each one and he's like, 
is PS3 backwards compatible? Well, there are games that were re-released for PS4 and you can play those games. Yeah. What about the PS2? There are PS2 games that were re-released later for PS4. And it's like, okay, so as long as it's a PS4 game, if it was ever remade from something else into a PS4, that's yeah, so that's not really what backwards compatibility is. Yeah, so thanks, Sammy, for the enlightening article on Push Square. You know, we never knew that you could play PS4 remasters you know, or, or PS1 remasters on the PS4 on a PS5 because it's backwards compatible. Like, oh, wow, that's such a revelation. I yeah. never knew that was a thing. Like, come on, really, dude? Like, so, dumbest article I've yeah, ever read. It seems like PS4 is going to be the limit. Like, it would be nice if you could throw your old PS1 games in there, but really, well, at this, this point, doesn't. it's so unnecessary. Nobody needs to go back and play all that on new modern hardware. Yeah, I mean, I have the old hardware personally. Like, this guy... That's a dumb article. So I'd yeah. be happy if it plays all PS4 because it'd be the same situation I'm in now playing my PS1 games on my PS3, my PS3 on my PS3, and then my PS2 just kind of sitting aside because I have nothing to play them on my big screen. <laughs> um, but let's get back to this other article, man, the Xbox Series X. So is there anything else here that surprises you? I mean, it's Microsoft, I think, is doing this a little too prematurely. Well, I think they've only been making that digital version for like a year. Well, I think they're kind of cutting their losses. I mean, it's really of this past generation, the lowest selling console uh, at what, 44 million? Like the Switch already surpassed it in less time, you know, than the Xbox Series X. So uh, I think it's premature, but at the same time, I can kind of see it. Cut your losses, move on to the next generation and see what you can do there. But I already talked about this, God, probably 10 episodes ago. Oh, uh, no. Well, I, I talked about this a while back. It's been back out since when, 2016. Okay, yeah, it's been out a while. But I had mentioned this a while back where I really do think that if Microsoft fails with this next generation of consoles, if they do not sell... No, it was May 2019. Okay, so it hasn't been out a long time. Yeah, it's only been like a year they've been making this version. Yeah. So um, to finish off that point, you know, I, I really do think that if Microsoft fails with the Xbox Series X launches and they do not get the type of adoption rate that they need for their console and PS5 blows out of water again plus Nintendo with whatever they have in their pockets, I can see this being the last Microsoft console. Like, why would you continue pushing out a console that you're just selling games on PC for anyways? Uh, you have this financing or financing option, but 20 bucks a month from however many people, like, yeah, it's, it's good financially, but think about the cost of producing all those consoles. Like, are they really making enough money to justify the continuation of the Xbox games versus taking Halo and putting it on ps4 and licensing it out or having it on pc like i i just can't see him continuing with an xbox after I, this generation i think a lot of the pull from all that stuff is the mentality of xbox has always been you know starting with the 360 and then really pushing it with the xbox one like the namesake for the xbox one is that it's like an all-in-one thing so the idea to be able to you know have your games, you know, your social feeds, be able to go on and watch your YouTube and your Amazon and all that stuff through there. It's like, I'm sure that they get, they must pull in like a ton of metrics and metadata and stuff and be able to really manipulate that because they've got a lot more broader uses for that information than Sony really is going to have. So it's like, it might just as an extra platform for you to be on, like, who knows what they're really making on the back end off of that and using all that information for like, I'm sure every company in the world would love to give you something else that connects to the internet just so that you have it. 
Yeah, and then to take your data and, and of yeah. course sell it. Yeah. So I, I think sense. that it's they're so profitable in all their other reaches. I think that this is just something that they do. And I mean, it's always about building more capital and building more money. So once you have Xbox, you can, you know, create your own Xbox studio and then you can start buying other studios up and making their money. So it just it's gonna keep reaching out and they did talk before we got all the information about this generation that, oh, is this going to be the last console generation ever? Are we just going to have like crazy supercomputers after this? Like, who knows? Who knows? We're not even at the start of this gen. Let's ride this out for a few years and we'll see where Xbox lands on the other side of it. Because there's always that chance. Like, we like to think about Halo and... Uh, you know, The Last of Us and these big, like, franchises that, like, sell consoles and move units. And with this new console generation, that's time for new things to come out that we don't even know about. Like, Xbox Series X could come out with, like, the next biggest best game next year, Xbox exclusive, and you and me are like, well, I gotta get it now. Like, this is the best game ever. Like, that's always a possibility. And having that exclusive platform just makes it all the more, you know, the, the precious. But the only issue with Microsoft is the consistency in which they release a lot of their games on PC as well. So where a game might be phenomenal and look great and you're like, wow, I need an Xbox Series X. There's always that peace of mind in the back of your head that it's going to be on PC and you'll be able to play it, you know, down the road. Uh, and then with the streaming components that we have nowadays, you know, do you have to have the best running PC to, to get these if it's streaming to your home through a device? I mean, these are all things that are going to be answered in the next several years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just don't see, you know, Sony obviously has played the exclusive game for a very long time. Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us Part Two, God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, Uncharted. All of these are fantastic games that have come out over the last several years and really the last decade that have catapulted them to being like that leader, similar to Nintendo. Nintendo has tons of exclusives. Where are you going to play them? Nintendo. Now, Sony has gone ahead and released stuff on PC recently, such as Death Stranding is now on PC. Um, and then you've also got Horizon Zero Dawn is hitting PC. God of Persona War. Persona 4 just came out. Persona 4. But these are all games that have been out for years. So like Horizon Zero Dawn has been out four years. Like, you know, sure, you know, if you're willing to wait four years to play a game, great. Um, like, I haven't played God of War yet on the PS4. Wait, four years or four years? Four years. Okay. Yeah, what were you thinking? Like, four years. Like, F-O-R years. Oh, no, no, no. Four <laughs> isn't the number four. You might wait four years. Four years. Well, I mean, technically, it's the same thing. <laughs> same type of messaging. Uh, yeah, so at the end of the day, um, you know, play what you want. Play what you're going to enjoy. I do highly recommend, though, if you are looking at a PS5, but you're on the fence, and you're like, I still play my PS4 a lot. I would say, you know, pending your financial situation, it might be best to wait and pick up a lot of those last, you know, ditch effort PS4 games, games that are going to be super low print runs, uh, stuff that you're not going to have backwards compatible, not backwards compatibility, but you're not going to find remastered on a PS5. Like uh, Journey of Savage Planet, for example, is a game that came out on the Xbox One uh, X and it came out on the PlayStation 4. I don't anticipate a game like that coming out next generation i anticipate that you know maybe being pc and steam for many years but i can see that as a, a last gen title that you can pick up on the cheap and enjoy it and the graphics are going to be great and it's from what i've seen pretty good reviews so 
you're going to have a lot of titles like that during the PS5's life cycle, the beginning of it, that you can still pick up and enjoy. And down the road, they might be collectible. They might be something that you're not going to get your hands on, especially exclusives uh, for those consoles. So, yeah, that, that's kind of my my two cents on that piece, man. All right. Well, let's kick this podcast into hard mode with the true impact of challenge in games. This comes to us from Gideon Gaming at GideonGaming.com. Thank you, Gideon Gaming. Uh, This is a nice little article. He goes through and talks about difficulty settings in games and how varied that makes your play experience. He specifically talks about Horizon Zero Dawn, which John can attest to much more. Uh, What difficulty did you play it on, John? I want to say I played it on the standard difficulty. I don't believe I played it on the the hard difficulty. If I did, it was in the very beginning, and I was just like, screw it. I'm going to play it on the moderate, just to kind of get through the story and enjoy myself. Okay. Uh, That game in particular, so he does go into this in pretty good detail. If you play the game on easy, you could seriously skate by with bows and arrows like no issue versus when you start ramping up in difficulty in that game, you have to be a little more strategic and plan on what you're doing. So it's been a while. So I don't remember the names of exact uh, enemies, but say for example, I was battling, uh, you know, one of the enemies that looks like a T-Rex or something, for example, because they do kind of reminiscent of dinosaurs and I'm battling this one and uh, I know what it's capable of. So what I would typically do is set up tripwires, I'd set up mines, I'd do different things to create some initial damage, and then of course lure it in with a bow and hit it with certain types of arrows uh, that would weaken it or weaken its defenses or even like destroy certain components to it. So there was a lot of strategy involved in those pieces uh, to try and, and kill enemies and move forward versus on easy mode, you might be able to skate by much easier. You might not get sensed by certain enemies as quick. So, you know, I can see where from an easy perspective for somebody, it's not necessarily a big gamer. They just kind of want to get through it, see a story and move on where they'd be like, okay, cool. That's what I want to do versus myself. When it comes down to like easy modes, if it's too easy, it's not enjoyable. Like there has to be that type of challenge in gaming. And that's where like adjustable difficulty settings come into place and are are really nice. So like Tsushima has adjustable difficulties where I could put in hard mode right now, but I could also make it easy. I can make it medium. I can change things up as I go through the game and uh, to better suit my play style. So right now I'm playing on hard mode and I like it so far. It's got enough challenge. It gets me to a point where I'm like, damn it, you know, like I had it. I could have done this better. You know, how do I change things up? How do I dodge? It makes me feel like I'm a better gamer doing that versus a moderate setting. Whereas, you know, in an easy setting, it's like, okay, cool. I just slashed through like these 10 enemies without getting hit. Like, is that enjoyable for me? No, but another gamer may find a lot of enjoyment in that. Well, and he tries to go in talking about not just how difficult the challenge is, but how it changes the game. Like in different games where you can just go through and use the starting weapon all the way through the game versus a game where at higher difficulty, you actually have to use more items. You have to use more skills in certain ways. Like it can completely change how you approach the game. Like if you're playing uh, Dark Souls and you're using a shield or you're playing Dark Souls and you're like dual wielding daggers or something like you're playing a completely different game at that point with a completely different understanding of how to approach combat, how to stay safe. Like it really changes up and kind of 
gates you off from different playstyles. Like if you're playing the game on a difficulty that is so easy that you never really need to or get pushed to engage with those other mechanics that are built into the game, you're really not playing. You're It's a pared down version, not just that you're having an easier time, but you're literally not playing parts of the game because you don't have to. Yeah. And like he mentions in this article or really content piece that um, when you humans have this tendency to go the easiest path. So if your easiest path is just button mashing square to just ram through enemies, then you're going to button mash through square to ram through enemies. And that's what you're going to do. So you're going to miss out on other factors of the game, other skills that you've you know gained throughout the game. You're just not going to use those other items because it, it doesn't it's not necessary uh, versus when you do start getting into harder difficulties. Yeah, you need to start using an arsenal of different types of skills and weapons and such. He uh, cites Spider-Man on there as a good example. In easy mode, you could just run through it with single combinations and no problem. Versus when you get harder, you got to start using your natural surroundings. You got to start slinging enemies. You got to start tying them up. You have to do a variety of different things to, you know, ensure progress in the game versus those uh, lower end difficulties. So, you know, I understand why they have them. You know, it makes sense. Uh, and why certain people are going to enjoy a lower difficulty versus a higher one. And then there's also the factor of, you know, the Soul series, where you don't really have an option in that, and why certain people just don't like those games because they are so difficult and unforgiving. But to your point, you can can go through those games, you know, depending how how you go through it. It might take you a little longer, but I played, for example, in, I think it was Dark Souls 3. I played as a, a mage or a magic wielder, I guess, and... The game was at first very difficult, but I did kind of subclass into it. So I started as a fighter to kind of gain that experience. And then I just like seriously built onto magic the entire way through, blazed through the game. No major issues whatsoever. It felt super easy. I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. And, you know, that's how I progress in a game. And I, I built up that skill tree specific to a magic wielder. Yeah. And a lot of games don't have that freedom, like, the freedom to choose difficulty based on how you engage with the game. Like there's probably difficulty settings, I want to say in Skyrim, but you can use magic or you can use bows or you can use swords. And it's all pretty much going to be the same kind of experience because Skyrim is just kind of blandish in that way. It's combat isn't really where it excels, but like, In Dark Souls, you can really choose how difficult you want the game to be based on how you actually play the game through. And having more informed ways of playing the game affecting the difficulty, I think, is a good direction to go in. And he talks about, like, you know, normal, easy, hard. Like, that doesn't really give the player much context. It doesn't really tell them what they're in for. Like a game that says, oh, hard mode, enemies take 50% more damage and deal 50% more damage. Like if that's really the only difference in the difficulty, that's fine. That's just how much you need to push yourself to enjoy that game and keep up with the pace. But for other games where it's just so easy to tell it like, you know, some systems will be uh, tertiary and non-essential for this playthrough very as in a harder difficulty you could say you know uh 
strategic well, use of ammo and items is critical to be able to play through this mode. So Last of Us 2 uh, actually outlined it really well on their difficulty. So it was more along the abundance of supplies. Mm -hmm. So I don't recall if it was like more enemies on screen, but it, it pretty much said like as it got harder, there were less supplies to work with. So I played on the, the moderate difficulty. I, I wanted to enjoy the story and I didn't want it to be like unforgiving hard you know and i i don't remember if you could change the difficulty setting on last of us too i think you could go down but you couldn't go back up mm. so it's not like you could and they do that for trophy purposes yeah. I think. so you know to say oh i'm gonna breeze through the game on easy mode and i'm gonna ramp up the difficulty to hard just so i can get the hard trophy yeah i can see why they're like nope like once you go down you can't go back up like it doesn't work like that um but, you know, it did outline it very well. I think Horizon Zero Dawn did a good job of it as well when I played it, of outlining what's going to happen, what you can expect. Uh, but there are games out there that's like, doesn't really tell you. I, I, I want to say Ghost of Tsushima didn't tell me, like, it's going to be harder for this particular reason. It was just, like, easy, medium, and hard. Uh, and then you get into ultra difficulties down the road, uh, where after you beat hard, they're like, you've unlocked the extra super difficult type version, and now you got to blaze through the game again and, and suffer and to try and get that final trophy and i can't stand that to be honest but you know there's some people that enjoy it so uh anything else here man i think this is actually a, a really good piece so we'll definitely share this one as well with, with folks and check it out of course check it on our website thegamedeflators.com all right so this week in the inflation deflation challenge we took on rodea sky soldier for the wii u yeah so we promised you this one a couple weeks ago uh, obviously i don't know why we promised this i'm sorry well okay yeah we're sorry for promising it um you know we just had to you know beat it i did uh on the last episode talk to jason he was like you know i think the wii version is supposed to be better which mm. it actually what's really cool about this game so it's a super cheap game uh, for the most part, but it has both the Wii version and the Wii U version in there. Oh, really? Yeah. And so what's really cool is the outside artwork. Right now I have the Wii U version, but if you flip it, it's the Wii case oh. on the opposite side. So it's pretty cool. It's got the I two love reversible yeah, covers. Yeah, it's really cool. So the only thing that's interesting about that, though, is like, yeah, it's a reversible cover, but the case is still blue. So you you have like all these Wii games oh, in so white. You, you still know, like keep one, it with your Wii U games? Yeah, so you it would still be a white case or blue case with a bunch of Wii games. It'd be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this game was, uh, what is it, Kadoka? Kadokawa. Katakawa Games. I could not see it from yeah, my Katakawa viewpoint. Yeah, Katakawa Games was the developer. The publisher was Nippon Ichi Software America. The director was Hitoshi Hasegawa. And it released back in November 2015. It's an action-adventure game that received middling scores between 4 and 7 out of 10. You could tell that Ryan is the one that's married to a wife that loves Japanese stuff. Just, just based on his pronunciations versus mine. Mr. Ghost of Tsushima over here not taking in any of the culture. What are you talking about? I love the culture <laughs> in that game. You know how many Mongols I've slashed? So, man, John, I was putting together the outline for the podcast and going through the articles and stuff. And John boots up Rodea and it's just like off the bat, man, there is so much stuff happening. Like they are just like in media's res, like you start up there's like a fight going on there's giant robots there's planes in the sky you're some dude with devil horns and a tail with an airplane on the end of your tail and you're flying through the air and you don't have no idea what's going on and you're a robot you find out afterwards. you are also a robot robot devil plane man 
Yep, robot. That's actually what it should be called is a robot devil plane man. Maybe that's what Rodeo stands for. It's an acronym. Oh, we'll have to figure that out. That's yeah. that's the puzzle. That's what it is. That's the puzzle. Rodeo, like robot something, devil plane man. We'll figure it out. We'll yeah, figure we'll it out. We'll, it out. we'll get back to uh, to the publisher on that. Um, so you said it best. It was like Sky Sonic. It's dumb Sonic. Yeah, dumb Sky Sonic. So we, when John was doing the tutorial, I really wasn't sure it it's one of those games that has like those terrible tutorials where it's like he's like oh man there's a battle in the sky i can't fly right now i better stay on land and then you walk <laughs> forward 10 feet to get to this the biggest signal you've ever seen in a yeah. in a game for go here it's this giant pillar of rainbow light it's like go towards the rainbow marker and ryan just goes what rainbow marker i'm like the big ass one on the screen yeah it looks like somebody's like powering up for like rainbow super saiyan Oh, it was crazy. And you walk over there and he's like, oh, man, the battle cleared up. Now I can take off. And it's just one of those incremental. And I didn't even really know what was going on while John was doing the tutorial. And then as soon as I get my hands on it, I'm like, this is dumb Sonic. Because it's like it's like Sonic where instead of going fast on the ground, you're just shooting through the air and it's kind of like and don't forget your slam attack on enemies in the air and chaining them yeah you've got a spin attack you're just like you lock on to something and then you just start flying towards it and you're not going like really very fast it's it's kind of like some weird mix between sonic and gravity rush or sonic and um and it's not like it's really executed very well so it Here's the interesting thing. They lure you in with the anime type style and they lure you in with the anime characters and the, the cutesiness and then they just get you with the crappy gameplay. And yeah. that's really what it is. Like, I, I want to say, like, if you scored this a four out of ten, it was like an eight on the anime characters and the cutesiness aspect to it and the cover. And then it was a zero on the rest of it to give you that four. Yeah, it's a decent looking game. And honestly, like, I only did like a level or so, but. The controls weren't terrible. Like I very quickly realized like what I was doing wrong and how to do it more right. But it just is kind of I think not it, that interesting of a concept. Like the idea of Sonic going through, you know, anytime in Sonic where you're doing like a straight on behind the back running forward segment, you know, those moments are like about speed and like dodging things on your path and like keeping forward momentum well this has that perspective like in the level layout but it wants you to like walk over here and like hit this thing to get five things like in sonic you're not gonna stop every time you see what is it a tv or a computer that you like hit to get like 20 rings out of or something like you're not gonna do that every time like you're going places well and here's the thing we did play this with the the big clunky you know wii u remote with um, an anime girl staring at us with anime girl staring at us the whole time uh so ryan was quite distracted during the gameplay but i think that playing this on a wiimote is going to be a lot more beneficial for somebody having that kind of flexibility right the point if and you click. could point and click at the screen Which it would can. make this game feel a lot faster yeah so there's that and i think this would benefit if it's not already i don't recall if it's been released on pc but a point click with a mouse would also benefit this game as well i think so. it would just make it yeah, not worth playing at that point because there'd be like it already I we're speaking way out of turn on this one because we did not make it very far. Like I didn't actually get to like any enemies, I don't think, but I can't imagine that that's really going to pick it up too much. Yeah, so 
It's yeah. just, it's not my kind of game. I'm not a big Sonic person, and this was just dumb Sonic, so I... I dumb Sky Sonic. Dumb Sky Sonic. So, okay, here's the thing, man. Like, while the tutorial was kind of garbage and the main gameplay, I, I was watching you play a lot of the main gameplay uh, in that first level, was like, okay, like, this is mediocre. At the same time, I did feel drawn in, and, like, if this was a straight-up, like, anime series... I would watch it. I don't think like, so. It was so over the top in the beginning. That's why I would watch Cecilia! it. Cecilia! That's how we should have opened the episode. Oh, no, my heart. I broke yeah. my robot arm. No, I, I mean, seriously, like, if this was an anime, I'd probably stick with it for a while. Like, a short 12-episode anime series, this would be pretty cool, I think. Just to quickly watch it and go through it. But we didn't progress through enough of the story to understand that part. Um, but I would say to controllers... Do or controls feel a little clunky? I little think bit. visually it was okay. Yeah, the gameplay was not bad. It's not terrible. There's nothing atrocious here. Like no. it's not a one out of ten. It's definitely somewhere between a four and a seven. Yeah, and I mean it really depends on you know your type of gameplay, what you enjoy from a difficulty perspective. Uh, I think that this is a game that I would honestly probably still pick up later on and play. You know, if given the opportunity. So, I, well, I will have the opportunity because I own it. But right now I've got a lot of games I'm playing. So, and there's a huge backlog. This might be in my backlog down the road as a game that's like 12 hours, I think roughly, is what it takes 9 to 12 hours to beat this game, if I'm correct. I could handle that, man. Like, I can handle Dumb Sonic for 9 to 12 hours and give a full-blown, like, here's my thoughts on it. You think? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I... I would have any issue with that. It wasn't terrible. It's not like it's not like it's broken. You know, it's a stupid tutorial in the beginning and it's definitely cliche in a lot of aspects, but it's not it's not a terrible looking game. And it does have that like cutesy anime story that goes with it, so why not? Well, let's talk about price here, John. So getting down to it, complete inbox is gonna go for fifteen ninety nine. That peaked at forty five dollars back in December twenty fifteen. That's obviously when yeah. it came out. It's like it came out in November. Yeah. Uh, and then loose is eleven thirty nine. That peaked at forty eight dollars in November twenty fifteen. Uh, the completed box is kind of going a little up right now, but not very much. And the loose is holding pretty steady. Like this is this is where this game will live. This game will never go too far one way or the other, unless it was like way under. Well, no, it does have that cool. It comes with both versions of the game. This will probably go up eventually. I would think that this will go up eventually. Um, once Wii U kids are 30, once, this would be an expensive game. I think so. And, you know, it makes me wonder if I should have kept it sealed. Uh, Buy another one. I don't know if they still have this one out right now. I don't think you can still find this one. But Get really good at sealing things. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> the hope is nobody's going to ever open it up after you did, right? That's true. Seal it and then send it off to get graded, and maybe it'll be $118,000 overpriced inflated just Mario. Put a put a sticker yeah, Wii inside U. with that. Oh my god. So I would say that when I picked this up, it was like eight bucks. Like eight to ten dollars in that range. Like it was on discount. As it should be. As it should be. Uh so yeah, I picked this up on the cheap along with some other Wii U games a long time ago. And you know at at sixteen bucks, I wouldn't say it's like worth it at sixteen, but you are getting two versions of the game. It is one of those dual packs which for whatever reason, Nintendo dual packs tend to go up. It's uh, just cool. Stupid rates. It's and a cool it, thing it, to see. It's I mean, cool. although we were shitting all over NBA 2K21 for doing that with the PS4, PS5 edition. Yeah, but this is different. Like, 
the PS4, PS5 editions, like a next gen type of thing where they're like literally That's going to release. That's what the Wii and Wii U is. Yeah, I get it. But I think like, why would you release the Wii game and the Wii U when the Wii U was backwards compatible? You know, like it's because nobody <laughs> bought the Wii U. Except me. Uh, dude, people are like starting to look at the Wii U and be like, actually, this is a really good console. No shit. It's a good console. There's a lot of good games That's on it. That's what everybody says. Yeah, and there's actually some pretty quality titles on that console. So I'm happy I bought what I did. I'm yeah. still missing Devil's Third, but, you know. So what do you what think, John? Uh, you know what, man? If you found this game 15 bucks, complete in box, you're not doing yourself a disservice on this. It's not... I picked it up new for $10 several years ago. It's obviously gone up. Um, people are finding it to be enjoyable in some aspects. It does have the cutesy anime style to it. It's not like it's broken. If you like Sonic, you're going to like this one. And if you like Gravity Rush, you might like it too. So 15 bucks, I think, is a fair price. I, I think... John, you can buy Sonic and the Black Knight for $10. Complete in box. I'm buying Rodea for 15 if that's my options. So I do think right now, at this point in time... It is inflated, um, but I can see it down the road being a game that's going to be highly inflated. Yeah, if that I, makes sense. Yeah, I think that this game's definitely going to go up over time because it's got. I mean, it's one of those games like the box art looks great, the characters' designs are cool, the controls aren't terrible. I mean, I'm there's way more game to this than we played for it, so don't let us tell you that it's a bad game, but. You know, it's just 15 bucks, 16 bucks, and it's only going to go up from there over time. Uh, like speculation it's a, wise. Yeah, it's a good investment. It may not be like a great collector's piece. Like it's not ever going to be your new favorite game and it's probably not going to be the highlight of your collection. But like if you've got $15 and you see it and you collect games and you want to collect more games later on by selling games, maybe I would do it. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's 15 bucks. Like, what is that? Like, uh, an order? That's a good, for, that's a good fast food meal. Yeah, that's like you and a friend getting some fast food. Like, cut out the McDonald's or In-N-Out or something for a day with a buddy and pick it up. Like, why not? It's not bad. So, yeah, 15 bucks I think is fair. You'll um, probably get just as much heartburn. You'd probably get just as much heartburn. That's correct. So, I would say that this is going to be inflated. You're uninflated. Uh, and down the road, potentially highly inflated, pending how things play out. So, yeah. uh, well, we got to figure out, God, we got to start doing this on a more consistent well, basis. Next week like we're, what we're going to play. Week we're mixing it up. Oh yeah. 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 Next week we're missing, mixing up. So, um, yeah, we can, we can talk about what we're doing there. So we, we actually already pre-recorded. Well, no, 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 what? no. Let the people lie in wait, but we got to tell them what we're doing. So I can look forward to it. Okay. But Budget gaming, folks. Budget gaming. We're, We're going to gonna... talk to you about collecting more next week. Less news. More collecting. No inflation deflation challenge. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I guess we can't really do it because we didn't do it for the other one. But uh, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun new thing gearing up towards the release of the PS5 because God knows we haven't talked about that enough. Yeah, actually, I like what we're doing with this. It's going to be pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah, no game next week, which is cool because we'll be able to record longer and later in the day so we don't have to get up uh dude i did want to tell you something though because this goes into our backlog of episodes that people can find at the game and uh it's dnd 
So we obviously have a D&D episode we did a while back. I want to tell you this so anybody that heard that episode and is kind of curious of where I am currently in, in my campaign. D&D update. So uh, I recently, my drunken master, uh, went crazy and destroyed a bar uh, because he was having a feud with somebody else. He has now been strip searched and he's being held by the, uh, uh, the high guard of the veil in a prison. And so I'm rolling a new character. And uh, luckily this episode will not be airing until after the next uh, session. So if anybody that we play with hears it, uh, I am going to be playing as a dwarf, a female dwarf barbarian, uh, which is pretty phenomenal so far. So it's going to be like this ADD style little dwarf carrying a giant maul behind her uh, that is embedded with lightning uh, from her god. Awesome. And uh, dude, I'm like so super stoked to play this because we had talked about in that episode where it's like dragging this giant like battle axe or molother so i've already started uh going on hero forge and checking out minis for that and i will play the drunken master down the road there'll be like a redemption tie-in uh, hopefully on that but yeah so i've got like this little mini i've created this uh, dwarf of like a giant maul like this and like this raging face i'm so stoked to play a barbarian like you don't even know dude so yeah i'm gonna be doing some D&D eventually once things start to lift up a little bit more just because I'd rather play in person than online and we're gonna do my friend Zach's campaign and he he wants to start us all off at like level 17 oh wow okay but like it's gonna be his own like crazy world where there's gonna be like some sort of kind of like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles-esque miasma and like we're going to have like this chalice thing that we have to carry with us and stay within the circle. Otherwise, we get debuffs and stuff. But like it'll be interesting because instead of having this like elaborate backstory and all this stuff, we're basically just going to superhero up. Like he said, like you're going to be whatever character. And then in like the first, you know, session, you just like superhero up like you are the only people that are not just regular people now. And I'm like, man so many options and i'm trying to think of like what class i want to do that i don't want to have to work all the way up to like there's this uh, i think it's the champion fighter mm -hmm. that you get like crits on 19s and 18s well you can get a feat for that as well you don't have to do a fighter well but like it gets 19s and 18s oh, so okay. you really get like a lot of this power but it just seems like a boring class to play through a long campaign like i wouldn't want to play the most basic dude all the way through, even though he's going to be way powerful late game. So I might do something like that. Well, that's why I like adding flavor a, to my characters, you know, like where a drunken master is. Yeah, but superhero cool up. Well, yeah, you're superhero superhero up, up. So there's no backstory on how you got there. It's just like, boom, muscles. Yeah, but like you got to have some sort of like personality to your character. No, Yeah, personality. But it's like. As far as, like, Drunken Master, never learned how to Kung Fu. Boom. Just no Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. Well, because he's drunk. But, yeah, I, dude, I want to play a Sorlock at some point. That'd be pretty cool. They're, like, super OP. So that... And then a Monk is, like, ridiculously OP as well. So oh, yep. that's our D&D &D update. I just want to bring D &D that up. D&D update. D&D &D update. All right. So uh, that's it. We'll have another episode next week uh, just to kind of cap it off. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Game Deflators and Twitter at Game Deflators because they don't like the. Uh, of course, give us five star reviews. Actually, six no, if you give can. Us six, six if you can, and possibly ten. Jason to bring up, just write two five star reviews on different accounts. That works oh, too. Oh, perfect. Perfect, right? So multiples. Uh, so go ahead and do that uh, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, 
Podbean, Podcast Addict, and everywhere your podcasts are found. Podchaser is another good one. And, uh, of course, find us on thegamedeflators.com. With that being said, this has been Episode 89 of the Game Deflators Podcast. I'm John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.